You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the first Sunday of Advent, December 1st, 2019. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, about a year ago, something interesting happened on a California highway. A Tesla Model S was spotted driving at about 70 miles an hour down the highway with its right blinker on, passing exit after exit after exit. And this aroused some suspicion, and the police were called, and the police start pursuing this car, and they put on the lights to stop the car, and the the car does not stop. It keeps going, exit after exit after exit. And the police pull up beside the car, and the driver appears to be slumped over the wheel with his head down, and perhaps his eyes even closed, as the car continues to go exit after exit after exit. And so eventually what happens is another police car is called and pulls in front of this car and then gradually slows down and the car, which has the Tesla autopilot mode, senses this and slows down with it until it came to a stop on the highway. And that's how they were able to finally wake this man up from his sleep. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Uh, Thankfully, the the car did what it was supposed to and and that autopilot mode worked just like it was supposed to. But think about what could have happened. Think about uh, your own driving. What happens if you begin to nod off at the wheel? I don't know if you've ever done that. I have once or twice. I woke right back up when my wife's fist went to my chest. (laughs) It was not a fun experience. Your car may not have an autopilot mode like Tesla does, but I bet you have an experience of intending to go to a particular destination and getting lost in a conversation and taking wrong turns because of it. It's your own kind of autopilot mode. I know I have that autopilot mode. I'm intending to go in one direction and I find myself in a a completely different place because I was lost in thought or lost in conversation. Similarly, we sometimes move through our lives as if we have an autopilot mode for our life. We can pick up sin in our lives without even realizing it. And this is what happens when we're in autopilot mode. We move passively through life, uncritically accepting patterns of speech, behaviors, 
and concepts from our culture. Just yesterday, as I was playing with the kids in the yard, I found myself humming a tune from a popular song from about 10 years ago. I have no idea how it popped into my head. And it's a terrible song from a Christian perspective. How did that get in there? Well, I must have passively acquired it somewhere along the way, and for some reason it popped into my head as I'm walking through the yard with the kids. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says this. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. You know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, Paul here is not indicating that it was six o'clock in the morning when he was writing this passage and that obviously it was time for everybody to wake up because you have stuff to do today. He was talking about a different kind of sleep. He was talking about a spiritual sleepiness. That same kind of autopilot mode I was just talking about where we just start to accept things in our lives without thinking about them. Acquiring little barnacles on our, our lives And they've just picked up along the way. We didn't intend to adopt these habits. We didn't intend to start speaking this way to people. It's just something that happens to us because we weren't thinking about it. That's a state of spiritual sleepiness. And Paul says that now is the time to wake up from that stupor, from that state of spiritual sleepiness. When you wake up, you need to take stock of the extra baggage that you've accumulated along the way and shed everything that is not godly, everything that is not in line with what is written in God's word. And this means that we need to, as it says in verse 12, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We'll talk more about what it means to cast off the works of darkness in a minute, but it basically means to to shed all the sinful habits and behaviors that we've picked up, to set them aside, to say, this is not the time for those things. In fact, there never was a time for those things. I shouldn't have picked them up in the first place, but I'm going to set them aside for right now, and I'm not going to pick them up again. But even as we shed those things, even as we take off those works of darkness, we are also putting on the armor of light. It's as if you're taking off one uniform and putting on another one. Taking off the uniform of the flesh and putting on the armor of light. Clothing befitting of a Christian. And this putting on the armor of light is putting on Christ himself. It's intentionally forming habits, patterns of speech, concepts and behaviors that come from him and not from the world. This is our protection against slipping back into the things that we have just woken up from. It's our protection against putting that costume of the world back on and making sure that we stay clothed in Christ with the armor of light. As with Lent, this season of Advent that we're entering into today is a season of preparation. Lent is a season of preparation for Easter, And Advent is a season of preparation for Christmas. Preparing ourselves to celebrate the joy of Christmas, to celebrate the joy of the incarnation when Jesus took on human flesh and entered this world. But also to prepare our hearts 
for him to come again, which is what he promises us in the scriptures. When Paul goes on in verse 11, he says, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And then he says, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So the reason it's time to wake from sleep is because the hour is coming when Jesus will return. The hour is coming when our salvation is here. And every minute you live is one minute closer to the coming of Christ. Sometimes it seems like it's a a far-off, distant thing, somewhere way beyond the horizon, something way beyond each of our own lifetimes. But the truth is that none of us knows when Jesus is going to come back. Not even Jesus himself knows when he's going to come back, but only the Father knows. And even if Jesus doesn't come back in your own lifetime, I can promise you that if he doesn't come back first, you're all going to find yourselves in the grave. Are you ready for that moment when it comes? If not, it's time to wake up. It's time to to wipe out your sleepy eyes and open them wide and think about all the things going on in your life. What have you brought in that shouldn't be there? And what do you need to take on that should be there? The time has come for you to wake from sleep because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So what does it mean for the time to be near? There's a tension here between the immediacy of the return of Christ and the need to wait. In Matthew 24 that we read this morning, verse 34, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what do we do with that? This generation will not pass away And yet, on the other hand, Jesus said this more than 2,000 years ago, and we are still here waiting for him to come back. It's a little confusing. It makes us scratch our heads a little bit. There are a couple things that we need to know. The first is that this passage has two separate events in view. The first, if you start at the beginning of the chapter, talks about wars and destruction and has to do with the destruction particularly of the temple in Jerusalem. That was something that Jesus said would happen, and it's something that actually did happen in AD 70. It's something that happened within that generation of people who knew Jesus, who saw him walking around, who could have given him a hug. 70 AD, the temple is destroyed, and not one stone is left upon another. Jesus said it would happen, and it did. But then the other thing that's happening is Jesus is saying he is going to come back. And that is something out on the horizon somewhere. That is something that we don't know exactly when it's going to take place. In Jesus' own day, nobody knew exactly when the temple would be destroyed either. But it did come to pass. And in our day, as we know the temple has been destroyed, we now wait for the second thing that Jesus promised, for him to return to us. So that's one thing that we need to keep in mind as we think about this passage about this generation. But the other thing is that the timeline of this generation, 
uh, could very well mean more broadly this age, not a specific 40 or 50 year period of a generation, but this age in which uh, we live between Jesus's crucifixion and ascension into heaven and the time when he returns for us. And so we are in this age now, and this age will come to an end when Jesus returns. So those are two things that we can think about when we think about this immediacy and this, uh, this notion of Jesus saying, this generation will not, take, will not pass away before these things take place. That passage can be a stumbling block for some people, and it doesn't need to be, because we know that Jesus promised and predicted the fall of the temple, and we know that he promised and predicted his second coming, which is still coming. We're waiting for it eagerly. Either way, we know that Jesus hasn't come yet. And so right now, we are waiting. And perhaps an even better word than waiting is anticipating. Anticipating. When our kids uh, have birthdays coming up, they know the the way that we celebrate birthdays in our family. We have uh, a special birthday meal that they get to pick out, and we have uh, maybe a, a present that comes their way, and we have a family celebration. We have a day just set aside to celebrate that person. And so uh, some of our kids will have their birthday and then immediately start thinking about what they're going to have for their birthday meal next year. That's anticipation. They're not just waiting around for that to come. They know it's coming. They're kind of excited about it. They're planning. They're getting ready for that next birthday when it comes. And that's the kind of waiting that we need to be engaging in as Christians. It's not just sitting back in our pews saying, oh, Jesus is coming. It's coming someday. I'm waiting still waiting, still waiting. No, it's, it's an anticipation. It's an active waiting. It's a preparation. What kind of preparation are we talking about here? Well, Jesus gives us the example of Noah. You all remember the story of Noah. He built a big boat and there was a big flood and everything perished on earth because of this flood, except for those things, those people, those animals that God told Noah to put in the ark. And this is what Jesus says about it in verses 38 and 39. He says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So there's two groups of people here. There's Noah and his family, and there's everybody else. Everybody else was eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were just living their normal lives. They were getting on with it. They were doing the things that they do. And we know that that was a wicked generation that nobody was following God anymore. Nobody, except for Noah, had God in sight. And so they were carrying on. They see this boat going up. It's kind of hard to hide a boat that's as big as Noah's boat was. Uh, I know some of you have been up to to Kentucky to see the the reconstruction of the ark that was built just a, a few years ago. And I haven't seen it yet. I've seen pictures of it. I can't wait to see it myself. But it's a massive thing. You can't hide that. There's, there's no camouflage you're going to put over a boat that size. It was obvious that Noah was building something. Okay? But everybody's carrying on. 
marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, marry, until the day when the flood came. And then everybody knew what that boat was for, but it was too late for them. Now what does Noah do? Noah hears the word of God. God says, I want you to build a really big boat. It's called an ark. You don't know what an ark is, but trust me, I got this. Just follow my instructions. And so he starts building a very big boat. Think cruise ship type boat. This is huge. He's building it by himself, maybe with the help of his sons, piece by piece, getting the wood together. This probably took years. And then once the boat was built, he had to start collecting the supplies that would go in there to sustain him and his family and all of these animals for this journey. And then the time comes when God says, get ready, the animals are coming, and he brings two of every kind of animal into the ark. That takes seven days just for the boarding of the animals, getting the the animals on board the ship. And then the flood comes. We read about this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. That was his response to what God had said. God says, build an ark, put animals in it, put supplies in it. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And then he goes on to say, take with you seven pairs of this and two pairs of that. And seven days later, the floods come. Now, who was prepared when the flood came, when those first drops of rain started hitting the ground? Noah was prepared. And who was not prepared? Everybody else. Everybody who didn't see the signs of what was coming, who didn't hear the word of God, who didn't see the sign of this massive ark being built. Nowhere near a pond. The same is true with the second coming of Christ. We have lots of information in the Bible about what will happen when Jesus returns. But the Bible is also very clear that no one knows when these things will take place. If we are wise, we will heed Jesus' instructions to get ready and stay ready. Matthew 24, verse 44, right at the end of what we read this morning, says, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There are lots of businesses out there that have surprise inspections, either from the corporate headquarters or from some kind of a a government agency that checks on them and, and regulates what they do. And you don't know when the inspector is coming. They just knock on the door one day and there they are, time to walk around and and do an inspection. We see that in food service, we see that in childcare, we see that in all kinds of industries. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that you have no warning. You have to always be ready. And that's the point. They don't want you to spend a week getting ready for the visit that you know is coming and then go back to all the stuff that you normally do. They want you to be ready all the time because that's the standard of care, that's the standard of preparation that they have determined is important for the health and safety of of the people in our culture. Similarly, the standard for the Christian life is holiness. The standard for the Christian life is putting on Christ and walking in his ways. And so we need to be constantly waking ourselves up from this stupor, 
constantly waking us ourselves up from our spiritual sleepiness, constantly taking stock of the things that we've acquired that we need to get rid of, and constantly pressing into Christ and desiring and acquiring more of him. But the beautiful thing is that we don't have to get ready by ourselves. One thing I've noticed about living through three hurricane seasons in Florida is that you get yourself ready, but you also help your neighbors to get ready. We take care of each other when hurricanes are coming. And the same is true in the church. In the church, we're not preparing for a disaster, but we're preparing for the most momentous event in the story of the world. We need to get ourselves ready, but we need to do so together as the people of God. That's why we have a church. That's why we all come here. It's to support one another in our walk in Christ, to build one another up, to encourage one another. We can spur each other on, encouraging each other to set aside the things in our lives that are related to the old life of sin. Paul gives us a kind of hard-hitting list in the letter to the Romans today. In verse 13, 13, he says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Maybe some of those things convict you. And if not, Paul has a couple of other lists in other places in the Bible I can point you to that you can read through. There are always things in our lives that the Holy Spirit will convict us of if we open our hearts and listen to his voice. If we say, Lord, where am I falling short of you? God will be faithful and gentle to answer that question. But notice that he says we are to walk properly as in the daytime. That's sort of a, a key note on what is proper behavior and what is improper behavior. Most of us try to keep our sin concealed from others. And so we sin in places where others can't see us, in our homes and in our hearts. But if you wouldn't want others to see something that you're doing, perhaps you shouldn't be doing it at all. Now, there's a couple exceptions to that. If you're buying a birthday present for someone, you want that to be a surprise. It's okay to go shop in secret for someone's birthday present. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about shameful behaviors, things that you would be ashamed if people knew that you were doing them. And the point that Paul is making is that we need to walk as in the light, not in darkness. I've been talking to the, the uh, Clay County Sheriff's Office about uh, security for our property and what we can do to improve security. Uh, and what they, they suggest, one of the simplest things they suggest is to have lights in the parking lot which we do have, and to keep those lights on until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because most of the bad stuff that's going to happen is going to happen in those late hours of the night and very early hours of the morning. Why? Because people are ashamed of their behavior and they do bad stuff in the cloak of darkness, but not us. As Christians, we want to walk in the light. We want to walk in the daytime. Even when it's nighttime, we want to walk in the daytime. And we want the things that we do, the, the habits that we take on in our lives, the behaviors, the patterns of speech, we want those to reflect things that we would be proud to be doing in the daytime, not ashamed to be doing in the daytime. There's a, uh, a little devotional book uh, called My Heart, Christ's Home that was written in 1951 by Robert Boyd Munger, a Presbyterian pastor. 
Um, and Carl gave me a stack of them. I'm going to have them available for you at the end of the service. But it's a, a beautiful look at your home as an example of what your interior looks like. And so it, it pretends that Jesus is coming into your home and you open the door to him and he walks through every room of your house with you. Uh, now think about if Jesus walked through every room of your actual house with you. Are there things in your house that you wouldn't want him to see? Are there things that you might have cleaned up before he knocked on the door if you knew he was coming? And so this devotional, this little pamphlet gently walks us through each of the rooms of our house, which represent different facets of our lives and helps us to see things that maybe shouldn't be there. And Jesus gently helps us to deal with each one. So I'll have copies of this on the, the table in the narthex for you after the service. But I would encourage you to take it home with you and, and pray through it in this season of Advent and see what Christ is calling you to, if there are changes that he wants you to make, if there are things that he wants you to shed or other things that he wants you to take on. But I also want to encourage you by saying that in addition to having the church to surround us and encourage us, we're also not alone because Jesus is with us. Paul encourages us in verse 14 to put on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When we put on Christ, we are taking on his character, but we're also taking on his strength. If we put ourselves in his hands, we will indeed be ready to rejoice when he comes again. And so in the words of a famous ancient hymn, Now come, most worthy Lord, God's Son, incarnate word, Alleluia. We follow all and heed your call to come into the banquet hall. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you came 2,000 years ago in great humility. And we thank you that you have promised that you will come again at the end of the age in power and great glory. And Lord, we don't know if that's tomorrow or the next day or the day after that or somewhere beyond our lifetimes. But we pray, Lord, that you would make us ready to behold your appearing. We pray that you would wake us up from our sleepiness. That you'd give us eyes to see the sin in our lives, that you'd convict us by your Holy Spirit but also that you'd help us to put on Christ, to clothe ourselves in you. Help us to breathe your breath. Help us to do the things that you would have us do. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light, that we might be ready when you come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.